Welcome back to Ryan and Brian's Bible Bistro. I'm Ryan. I'm Brian. And this is the Bible Bistro. A podcast all about the Bible theology and things related to the Christian faith. Yes. Well done, Brian. You're learning. See, I know what. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Thanks, Ryan, for all your teaching me. <laughs> Yes, winning. So I'm teaching you all kinds of things. We're back. Yeah. Back still in Bistro West. West, yeah. Bloomington. Well, beautiful. In, in the beautiful downtown studios of Broadleaf. Video in, production. In beautiful downtown Bloomington. Not really downtown Bloomington. It's in Bloomington, Bloomington, Illinois. But we're here. We're continuing. What are we continuing, Brian? The series on the Book of Daniel. Well, of course we are. So last week we did... Uh, and I'm excited. Da- I'm excited what? about this. Are you? Yeah. This is this. We get into more of these stories. There's some good stories. These are some great first six chapters or narratives. Yeah. Yeah. There's plenty of good flannel graph material in here. <laughs> you know, for the for the kiddies to put up there. But yeah, there's some great stories here that I think probably if you've grown up in the church, you've heard these stories yeah, a lot. Nothing, nothing like teaching children about people being burned alive, for example. In the I next, know. Well, next I, chapter. I remember singing songs about this. <laughs> Like we had a little musical, About and it was like, man, the, yeah, it really? was man, this furnace is cool. I remember that line from the uh, song. I think I was, I think I might have been thrown in the furnace as part of this church musical. Well, <laughs> when you get to chapter, when you get to chapter three, then I would expect you to perform part of that. Let me see. I'll see if an, I can find as an this interpretive song. dance uh, or song, song and dance. Yeah, a little. I'll I'll see I'll see what I can scrounge up. I don't know if there's much interpretive dancing, but there definitely was a song about. We a should we should cool. have a fire pit going. So all the things I and we're a chapter early. We're talking about chapter two today. We're talking about chapter. This two is today. Daniel chapter two. You know this one might not have as much uh, flannel graph material. It's maybe a, it's a well some, yeah I think I think you could do it. I think you could do it. I'm not sure yeah. that it was done. <laughs> There's a little bit more to it. So, yes, we're jumping into Daniel 2 today. We're yeah. still in the narrative part of Daniel. Yeah. We wrapped up Daniel 1, where we had the, the the narrative about food and Daniel and Meshach and Abednego. Shadrach, too. Yeah. Yeah. He, well, Abednego. It, yeah. Their initial, mission, uh, initial names were Mishael, Hananiah, and uh, Azariah. Yeah. And saying and faithful to the Lord, yeah. saying we don't want to eat this food from the king's table. Um, they're given they're given wisdom. God opens some doors yeah. for them. And then at the end of Daniel 1, we see them. Things are wrapped up. Things oh, are yeah, nice. They're, yeah. They're, uh, they're, they're at the, their peak. That's the interesting thing about Daniel. And I'll start, I'll just start into Daniel 2 now. The interesting thing is, is it, sometimes it's hard to see how these f- stories fit together exactly. Are mm-hmm. they are they an exact narrative? And that's one of the things you notice with biblical narrative; they aren't always chronological in their order. So one of the things we'll have to talk about at the beginning. Yeah. But Daniel two, the reason I'm excited about it, I, I love to teach Daniel two. I'm going to give our our listeners and and viewers a warning that it is a long chapter, and mm-hmm. so I've tried to condense it. I've tried to. Uh, put it in as, as short a form as we can. I didn't even set my timer, so I have no idea how long this is going. I'll, I'll just wing it. But uh, <laughs> you're okay. It's a very long chapter, and, but there's a lot of repetition in here. There's a mm-hmm. lot of the, the idea about you know what's going to happen to the people who can't interpret this dream, and then you know it doesn't happen, and then he's going to well, you know, all this kind of stuff. Waka 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 waka. waka. <laughs> but uh, anyway, I think this is an important chapter. Not only for understanding Daniel, and when I say understanding Daniel, in my opinion, and this is an opinion shared by everybody, I'll I'll go ahead and say that Mm -hmm. uh, straight out, 
I think that this story of Daniel chapter two fits very well with the last portion mm. you just mentioned, chapter the apocalyptic visions of chapter seven through twelve. I think in a way we get a a condensed easy to understand version of what's going to happen later in those more apocalyptic visions. Mm. And I think we can use these, this chapter as a guide for understanding that. So not only is I, am I, do I think it's important for understanding Daniel, I also think it's important for understanding kind of what's going to happen to God's people as God fulfills his, his purpose through his people. And so I think, I think this is a really key chapter. Now I'm yeah. going to give you some other ways to look at it that, that are different than that. But my understanding of this passage is that it is a key for really understanding the rest of Daniel. Okay. So go ahead and read Daniel chapter two, verse one for us here. Here we get this typical kind of historical setting that we get mm -hmm. for these stories. Kind of, again, you can tell it's the beginning of a new narrative. Yeah. In the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His spirit was troubled and his sleep left him. So how do we understand this in relation to chapter one? Mm -hmm. uh, and, and, you know, there it ends with because they were supposed to be trained for three years. Uh, they were brought by Nebuchadnezzar already. If this is his second year, how do we understand that in connection? There's a couple of different ways to reconcile this if you if you really want to. Uh, one of them is some people try to say when in the in chapter one we have Nebuchadnezzar taking uh, Judah and bringing. Daniel and his friends into into captivity, but um, he has not yet officially been made king of Babylon at this point. He is definitely the most powerful military leader. He, he has a great deal of influence, but there are some who would see this maybe as later. So that's if you really have to make this chronological. The other way is to understand this kind of going back to an earlier story within that within that trajectory of their training during the training. That's kind of the way I understand it for this reason. And there's still another problem because, you know, chapter one, as we mentioned, ends with everything kind of being hunky dory and they're, BFFs. they're vindicated and everything looks great. But, but here we're going to see it kind of wraps up in the same kind of way. Right. Not even, it even extends beyond that. They're given official court appointment at, at the end of this, not to give away the ending. I guess I just did, but, um, but you find it could be during that that period of training. What makes me think that is the best way to understand this is when Nebuchadnezzar summons his court in the very beginning here, we're going to see in the next two verses, in fact, Daniel and his friends are not among those. <laughs> and, right. and, and so I, I don't think they've yet been a given that official appointment they're still in their training period at this mm -hmm. when this takes place that's the way i understand it if again if you need to reconcile it but uh, go ahead and read verses two and three for us yeah absolutely then the king commanded that the magicians the enchanters the sorcerers and the chaldeans be summoned to tell the king his dreams so they came in and stood before the king and the king said to them i had a dream and my spirit is troubled to know the dream the word Chaldean, I'll go ahead and mention that since since you're reading a translation that uses that, that that word can stand for almost parallel to Babylonian. It's used in the book of Isaiah that way. But Chaldean also seems to have had a very specific kind of purpose in this period of time. Some people think it refers to like astrologers. So you'll see some of your translations will say mm -hmm. something. So Chaldean there will say something like astrologers. In other words, the same way we might talk about uh, like the Romani. Uh, for example, people we might we, we, we're commonly known 
as gypsies at one point, but the Romanese we might talk about, and that may have a certain idea about about how they portrayed themselves in certain his, historical periods, if that makes sense. So um, anyway, that's so that's just a, a difference in translation there. But Nebuchadnezzar summons together his court, and what he basically says to them is, I've had this dream, and I want you to tell me the dream and how to interpret it, but I'm not going to tell it to you first. So go ahead and read verses 5 and 6 here, if you will. Yeah. The king answers and said to the Chaldeans, The word from me is firm. If you do not make known to me the dream and its interpretation, you shall be torn limb from limb, and your houses shall be laid in ruins. But if you show the dream and its interpretation, you shall receive from me gifts and rewards and great honor. Therefore, show me the dream and its interpretation. I got to say, they probably thought it was a pretty good gig until... (laughs) Until he said, like, well, interpret this or I'm going to pull you limb from limb. You know, the, I, I think any any person, and these are court stories. That's the other yeah. thing I should mention. There, there are these kind of stories in, in different cultures. Any court story, there's always kind of that element of danger. Mm-hmm. Like like the idea that a king could turn at any moment. Mm-hmm. And, uh, um, you know, you can think of some stories... We, I mentioned Joseph last time. Do you remember when he was in prison? Yes. Do you remember what happened then? The baker he, and the, yeah. Here are these two people who are very close to the Pharaoh. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden they found themselves in prison and on a whim, one of them gets elevated to his position. The other one gets, <laughs> gets hung, right? Yeah. So, so that's kind of the, the advantage and the danger to being a courtier, you know, and uh, being in that kind of high position. Well, yeah, there's good things to go with it, but. The it's one of those things like, oh, you've been summoned. You're like, ah. <laughs> the, the king wants to see you now. Nebuchadnezzar will see uh, you now. I got a thing. I got to wash my hair. <laughs> so he, he, here's the idea. And again, we, we I mentioned last week that that central to the idea of the Babylonian court was this idea of divination. Mm-hmm. And, and so he's got all these. So it's not wisdom in the sense that we would think of advisors, mm-hmm. right? Who are, who are going to give you the best advice based on their human understanding. But it's basically, like, can you summon mystical knowledge from the divine realm? Mm-hmm. You know, can you ask the gods and mm-hmm. find these things out for me? And what? I, yeah, and it's—I mean—it's interesting that the first place he goes, it's not just a dream for a right. dream's sake. It, this is a dream that has been put into him by the spiritual realm, and, and which that, I think is also interesting as it well. It is interesting, and and you know, we could actually talk about this a long time. There's actually been a lot of ink spilt on this. I didn't plan to talk about it, but um, the the role that dreams have in the ancient world, in order not not the way we think of dreams, but to be seen as as glimpses into meaningful things, mm-hmm. especially among officials. So Joseph, again, yeah. uh, you know, he has two dreams. Mm-hmm. You might remember about um, the start his brothers, his, his brothers and, and mother and father. Uh, but yeah, the, the bowing down of the grain to him, mm-hmm. which he understood to have significance, but then also the starry host and, uh, mm-hmm. and the moon and the sun bowing down to him. He interprets two dreams. So when we get to Pharaoh, uh, Pharaoh has this uh, dream about cattle. That's kind of a weird one. He has this dream about, um, um, uh, grain as well dried grain and 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 they understand that as something that has significance there and and joseph is not only able to interpret the dream but he also gives advice on how the Mm -hmm. pharaoh should respond to that so 
different cultures in this period of time did place an importance upon dreams that that seemed to have um uh, you know that, that seemed to have a significance beyond what we would normally think of it wasn't just an internal thing it was it was pointing to reality a, a physical reality a physical reality yeah a few sometimes sometimes not always a future reality but yeah mm-hmm. those those kind of things this is this is a, a dream this is something so if that's, you ever had a king that said oh i had a dream about you like that could be <laughs> Wouldn't necessarily be a good thing. Yeah. So anyway, that's that's yeah, just a little summary. And like I said, there's been lots of stuff written on that's pretty interesting. Again, not only Babylonian culture, not only Israel Israelite culture, but also other other uh, ancient cultures had mm-hmm. that kind of view of dreams. So um, yeah, so here's where I was going to go with that divining part is. He doesn't tell him the dream, I think, intentionally, because it'd be one thing to interpret it, right? Yeah. It, 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 it's Someone like, could tell you anything you wanted to know. Right. Uh, if from a, just to mention something from a later period of time, it's like the 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 oracles at Delphi, right? They can they can give you these kind of statements that can be interpreted like, like fortune cookies, right? You can kind of interpret them different <laughs> yes. ways or the horoscope, right? Or but but here you got to tell me the dream, and that's how I'm going to know. I think I think this is a test. This is how I'm going to know that this knowledge isn't just something you're making up, or you're not mm-hmm. trying to pull a fast one on me. If you could tell me my dream and the interpretation, I will know that this is a legitimate thing. And if you can't, here's how I, I'm going to read this. Uh, I'm doing away with you because what good are you anyway? You know, if you're not legitimate diviners, if you're not really able to to get these glimpses into the to the you know the reality of the spiritual realm what good are you and so so that's the threat that's put to them and i I find their reaction really interesting i think the wording of it is is very important uh if you look at verses 10 and 11 here uh, of chapter chapter 2 let me read this here Mm -hmm. is this the NIV? it says the astrologers answered the king there is no one on earth who can do what the king asks no king, however great and mighty, has ever asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or astrologer. Probably says Chaldean there for you. Mm-hmm. Verse 11, what the king asks is too difficult. No one can reveal it to the king except the gods, and they do not live among humans. Now, that's an interesting statement for a number of different ways, a uh, number of different reasons. So basically, there's no person there's no human being who's going to be able to do this for you what you've asked no one's ever asked for this you know give us your dream and we can interpret it but to come up with this no one can do this only the gods and their their statement is the gods don't live on earth mm-hmm. and that that's a very you know that's a worldview kind of thing again that, that we're talking about this this kind of battle that there is this separation between the the, the gods in the heavens and and the people on earth right yeah but it's not like a deist thing where the gods are not involved no, but no. it's but it's very much a still a i don't i don't care about the people of earth from right. from their perspective their gods it's just like they're there for me at my whim but i don't have an intimate relationship right. with them exactly yeah they're not they're not with us right yeah and, and that's going to become i think an important theme in in daniel is that this god the God of the Israelites, the God, of the often in Daniel is called the Most High God, mm-hmm. uh, the God of the heavens, the Most High God, is is the the true God, and He is the one who's able to to do these things. So, anyway, that's that's where I think I think it's interesting that they're saying even our, even our gods, even though they might know this, they're not able to to you know impart, impart this knowledge, right? Yeah. 
Okay, so then Daniel interacts with uh, this guy named Arioch. This is verses 14 through 16. Uh, when Arioch, the commander of the king's guard, had gone out to put to death the wise men of Babylon, Daniel spoke to him with wisdom and tact. And and I spent a lot of time thinking about that word tact. What does what does your translation say? Just out of curiosity, uh, wisdom and he spoke to him out of prudence wisdom. and discretion. Discretion, okay. Because this word it, it has quite a wide, just to use the technical term, a wide semantic range. There's a lots of lots of different ways that we can take it, but uh, but it's that kind of an idea that he spoke to him in a way it can't even be taken to be directly or boldly, but but he's speaking to him in a way that is going to get its effect, I suppose is what I say. And I think, again, we see something about Daniel's wisdom and his, his mm -hmm. abilities here. He asked the king's officer, why did the king issue such a harsh decree? Arioch then explained the matter to Daniel. So Daniel, see, Daniel and his friends don't even know about this yet. They've not been consulted. Uh, it's something that's taken place, but then everybody's going to be killed, everybody in this, because you know they basically said, we can't do what you're asking. Well, and I think this also points to Nebuchadnezzar's state of mind during this. Like, sure. he's had this dream, like, there is something that has shaken him to the point where, like, if you can't do it, off right. with your, right. off with like, your head. Off yeah. with your head. Like, it's like, this is, there's a lot happening here. There's, there's a lot at stake. He obviously has put some great significance on this dream. Right. So then it says in verse 16, at this, Daniel went into the king and asked for time so that he may interpret the dream for him. And this reminds me again of what I was talking about in the last chapter, where Daniel, you know, the, the amount of boldness that this takes for him to do this is really remarkable a young you know foreign person who's been brought here and for him to go in and to to essentially address the king in this way is a really uh, amazing thing so here's what's funny then not well not funny but daniel well, was uh, what i think ahead. is also the only thing that i find is just like even before daniel is made part of the king's court in daniel one he's still considered one of the wise men yep. here yeah you know so it's kind of you know i think that's one of the things that that kind of threw me is like well they're already considered wise men but they yep. haven't had this what what makes them wise men at this right. point if even if they're not consulted which yeah. i think is interesting is they're yeah. not brought in right to give their opinion on it it's just like well you're kind of labeled that and it's yeah, I'm I'm here to kill you. <laughs> right. Yeah, you get the penalty, but not the opportunity to, yes. to do uh -huh. to do what I've said. Um, so read verses 17 through 19 for me. I find this really interesting. Uh, yeah, their, so, their response. Yeah. Then Daniel went to his house and made the matter known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions, and told them to seek mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery, so that Daniel and his companions might not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. So. The contrast I think we have here is he goes and he basically says, we need divine intervention. We need God to tell us this matter. The, I don't know if fatalism is the right word. The, 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 the response of the enchanters, let's call them the mad mm -hmm. magicians surrounding Nebuchadnezzar, their immediate response is this can't be done. God's living in heaven and we're on earth and, and we have no access. We to have that. no access to that. Daniel, on the other hand, basically says, let's go and ask. Now, I've, and and those the uncertainty too, which I think is important, right? Mm -hmm. I've mentioned to you before that the difference to me between a true faith in, in God and what we often call religion, which I, I don't consider, I don't consider Christianity religion. I don't consider, you know, the faith in this God a religion in the way that I'm, at least the way I'm going to interpret it just now is a religion. You're really seeking a way to, I sometimes say, twist the the arm of the deity, 
Mm-hmm. So that that's kind of the approach of the astrologers, right? We're going to do the right enchantment or we're going to say the right thing in order to accomplish this purpose. Uh, go back to Mount Carmel. Do you remember that story oh, of yeah. Elijah on Mount Carmel? And, and the difference there is they are going through the rituals and the routines and, and trying to get the attention the attention of Baal. Yeah, he's sleeping. Right. And that's, 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 that's Elijah's Elijah words. mocking, yeah. you know, mocking. Maybe he's in the bathroom, you know, mm-hmm. maybe. So, so, you know, louder, maybe louder. Should, exactly. Maybe you should shout louder. So it, you get what I'm saying though. It's trying to get, uh, God or the gods, however, you know, whatever your worldview is to, to do what we want. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, you impart this knowledge to us, Right. We're asked what Daniel basically says to his friends is let's ask for God's mercy that he will choose to reveal these things to us. Mm-hmm. So it's not like I think I have the magic word that's right. going to twist God's arm so that he tells us this mystery. But it is it is essentially laying it out before him and asking, which is what Elijah does. Basically, he says, you know so that they will know you're a God in heaven. I ask you to send down fire. Very simple. I always say it's a very simple prayer on Mount Carmel compared to what the, what the priest and priestesses of Baal and Asher are doing. Uh, you know, you see this, just this, this incredible difference. It reminds me of Jesus words too, where Jesus says, you know, it's not because of the babbling of the many words that you're going to be heard. Right. Mm-hmm. It has to do instead with our trust in, in, in God that, that he will hear us and he will act according to his character and his nature. He, he will act in a way that is in keeping with who he is, not with who we are. Right. Right. Uh, so, so that's kind of, I just wanted to point that out. I thought that was an interesting kind of difference, a distinction here between these two. So, Verses 20 through 23 then are pretty interesting. And, and he knows he's called the most high God there, which is kind of, that's kind of Daniel's typical term or the God of heaven. I think he's actually called there. Uh, and, and so then verses 20 through 23, uh, it, it says that he, uh, verse 19, during the night, the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision. Then Daniel praised the God of heaven and said, praise be to the name of God. Uh, you know, interesting again, instead of, instead of Yahweh here, we have the name of God, which Yahweh is not used very frequently. It again says something about, you know, by this period of time, how they understood what they were supposed to do. In fact, the word Lord or Adon is used more often than, than Yahweh in, in Daniel, but praise be the name of God forever and ever wisdom and power are his. He changes times and seasons. He deposes Kings and raises up others. So basically it's in his control, right? That Nebuchadnezzar mm-hmm. is, is on the throne right now. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what lies in darkness and light dwells within him. I thank and praise you, God of my ancestors for you've given me wisdom and power you've made known to me what he, we asked of you you've known to uh, you made known to us the dream of the king and so he offers him this praise for responding to their prayer uh in the way that that he do now what's what's important here and what we're going to continue to see and i think we've seen this already in chapter one is daniel is clearly giving credit to god here right this isn't my wisdom this isn't it's no power that he contains it's exactly all from god it's it's that god has chosen to reveal himself in this way and again that's the distinction it's not having the magic words it's not you know being the best astrologer but it is it is that that god has chosen to reveal himself in this way 
So that Daniel goes to Arioch. Arioch takes Daniel to, to the king. And, and then we get to verses 26 through 29. You want to read that? Um, yeah, 26 through 29? Yeah, chapter 2. Yeah, here we go. Uh, the king declared to Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, are you able to make known to me the dream that I have seen and its interpretation? Daniel answered the king and said, no wise men, enchanters, magicians, or astrologers can show to to the king the mystery that the king has asked. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries, and he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the later days. Your dream and the visions of your head as you lay in bed are these. Now, I think this is so interesting, and we'll get into what the vision is here in a minute, because this is there. there's certain ways that this agrees almost exactly with what the sorcerers have said, what the what the magicians surrounding Nebuchadnezzar have said, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, God, God, the gods are the ones who can know these kind of things. No enchanter can know these kind of things, and and Daniel agrees, right? Mm-hmm. No wise man, I don't care who you bring in, they're not going to be able to do this. But there is a God in heaven, and, and here's the difference. Here's where he only agrees halfway, I think, with the sorcerers, and this God makes known mysteries. Okay, this true God, the God of heaven, is the one who can reveal to us truth, you know, can reveal mm-hmm. what what you dreamed. And so then he he launches and interpretates this dream. So anything else at this point that you're noticing? No, I, I, noticing I just, it, it's, you know, by, we, we've talked about this again, we talk about parables and kind of a yeah. worldview shift. Sure. By adopting the language of some of those yeah. early enchanters and sorcerers, yeah. he's trying to take, like, I've built off of this idea that they're, but now let me but, shift your yeah. perspective on what can be known and who reveals yeah, what is known. Yeah. Like it, th- that to me is kind of the, the interesting part in there is it seems like there is a little bit of a, right. he's speaking in a way, not just to say, here's what your dream means, yeah. but to go, here's who's revealed it and you need to shift your perspective on this. And, and I said last week that that if, if I were ever to write a book on Daniel, it would be called There is a God in Heaven. Mm-hmm. And, and that's really, the, you know, that's central to what we believe, right? That there is a God uh, who and he is the true God, right? Mm-hmm. Who 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 is who is there, uh, and and this informs then it 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 changes the way that we look at at reality because we we see this God in heaven. Um, we understand, you know, that that he is there and he he is uh, able to reveal these things to us, uh, and I think that's what Daniel here is arguing for. Um, and, and so here's the the nature of what he interprets. So verse 29 says, he, he, in your bed at night, basically, uh, things to come is what was on your mind. Your mind turned to things to come. In other words, mm-hmm. the future. And the revealer of mysteries is how he refers to God here, showed you what was going to happen. So here's the, here's the revelation then. Verses 31 through 35, he tells him about this dream. So go ahead and read that for me. Yeah. You saw, O king, and and behold, a great image. This image, mighty and of exceeding brightness, stood before you, and its appearance was frightening. The head of this image was of fine gold, its chest and arms of silver, its middle and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. As you looked, a stone was cut out by no human hand, and it struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them in pieces. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, and the silver, and the gold all together were broken in pieces and became like the chaff of the summer threshing floors, and the wind carried them away, so that not a trace of them could be found. But the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. Okay. 
So this is the dream. It's a statue or an image that's there, an idol, we could mm -hmm. say, uh, different, made of different various metals and, and clay, uh, head of gold, chest of uh, and arms of, of silver, belly and uh, thighs of bronze, and then legs of iron and, and then iron and clay. And, and, and so this is the, the image that he gives first. Let's get to the interpretation. I want to co come back and talk about the, the rest of what happens there because it's mm -hmm. pretty amazing. But uh, here's what Daniel says in verses 36 through 38. Then go ahead and read that if you would. This was the dream. Now we will tell the king its interpretation. You, O king, the king of kings, to whom the God of heaven has given the kingdom, the power and the might and the glory, and to whose hand he has given, wherever they dwell, the children of man, the beasts of the field, and the birds of the heavens, making ru rule over them all, you are the head of gold. So, Nebuchadnezzar, you are the head of gold. And it, 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 notice he says here, God has given you this position. Mm -hmm. You're the, the reason you are emperor now. Let's call it uh, the term even king of kings works uh, because it, it means the king of other, other the kings of other nations have bowed down their knee to you now. Mm -hmm. uh, you are the one who's over this entire known world at this point. And the reason that is, Daniel says, is because of the same God that revealed these things to you has put you in that position. He's the one who's who's made you, which which fits with Jeremiah. Right. Mm -hmm. It fits with Isaiah. Yeah. yeah. That, this is judgment, the judgment on the nation or the Judah and Israel. And God is the one who's brought Nebuchadnezzar there in order to enact this judgment. Mm -hmm. uh, it's not because of their greatness. It's not because of their power. And and here's God's promise to Habakkuk. I think I mentioned last week, Habakkuk is written the same year that Nebuchadnezzar had the victory at Carchemish over, over Egypt. It was kind of the final yeah. uh, vindication of his, of his reign and his rule. Yes, Habakkuk is saying, God, when are you going to take care of what's going to, what's been going on a year before his victory. And, and, uh, God says, well, I'm bringing the Babylonians and Habakkuk's like, what? <laughs> wait, wait a minute. Uh -huh. And, and the interesting thing as, as God goes on, he says, but when I'm done with the Babylonians, then, you know, they're simply a tool in my hand. And then when I'm done with them, then I'm going to bring judgment on them. Uh, Isaiah chapter 10, there's this really strong image that that this king is nothing more than a club in my hand. He's nothing more than a, than, than a tool that I'm using mm -hmm. in order to exact my purposes. And when I'm done with him, yeah. just like you would, I'm going to throw him back in the, in the garden shed, right? And, and so that's, that's kind of what what we have going on here, I think, is that God is the one who's brought you to this position. So you're the head of gold. Verse 39, and he very quickly moves over this. I mean, it's great that he really butters him up here. Like, you've got all the birds <laughs> obey. You know, like, it's, it's, it's well, a good start to the dream for him. Yeah. Go for ahead. Nebuchadnezzar. Verse 39. Another kingdom inferior to you shall arise after you, and yet a third kingdom of bronze, which shall ru rule over all the earth. And there shall be a fourth kingdom, strong as iron, because iron breaks to pieces and shatters all things. And like iron that crushes, it shall break and crush all these. Okay, stop stop right now. We'll we'll deal with this. So talks about the second, third kingdom there pretty quickly. What do you notice? One, one is, well, the only thing he says about the second kingdom is it's inferior to Nebuchadnezzar's. It's not as powerful, not as mighty. Third kingdom, he mentions, is a kingdom of bronze. Mm -hmm. And he says it's one that will rule over the whole world mm -hmm. over all the earth all the earth okay and then there's this iron kingdom okay so 
there are two ways to understand this. Well, there's many more I understand this. And I'm going to tell you how I understand it. And I understand, as I mentioned this, the key really to the to the apocalyptic visions in verses in chapter seven through twelve of the book of Daniel. And that's the way we're gonna we're gonna approach this. The way that some commentators treat this, though, is they think about the kings that arose immediately following Nebuchadnezzar. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you have a king who's followed by a, a, a another king. You have Nebuchadnezzar followed by another king who's not nearly as powerful. Mm-hmm. Then we have another king. I can't remember his name. And then we get to uh, Belshazzar by the time we get to chapter 6. Belshazzar does not have long on the throne. And he's defeated. And this interpretation then would take the the stone that comes from well we'll, we'll say something more about that but the stone as Cyrus, mm-hmm. uh, which Isaiah prophesies that Cyrus is going to bring about an end to the Babylonians, um, and, and so that's how some people interpret this. Let's talk about a near future. So, the, so the next three kings of of Babylon would be refer to these, refer to yeah. the second, third, yeah. and then the fourth kingdom. How I understand these are talking when he says the head of gold is you, Nebuchadnezzar. I think he's talking about the Babylonians, mm-hmm. not just Nebuchadnezzar, but also his son and and those who are going to succeed him through Belshazzar. I understand then the inferior kingdom to be the Medes and the Persians. Persians. Who come and, and let's face it, they are they're weaker. They they defeat the Babylonians, but then they let the the captive kings King, go yeah. go back go to go back their, to Jerusalem, right? You know, build your and, and, and not only your them, God. but the other nations, right? So so they're not ruling with as much strength, let's call it military mm-hmm. might as as we might expect. So that's the the second kingdom, the Medes and the Persians, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. The third is those who come after that, who is. The Greeks, Alexander, Alexander the Great, Great. And, and the Greeks. We actually have a whole whole episode on this, I believe, already. But Alexander the Greek, Great comes, he 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 conquers the known world, right? Mm-hmm. And then the fourth kingdom in that case would be would Rome. be Rome, and, and that's that's how I understand this because that's what chapter seven through twelve are really setting up and talking about. Mm-hmm. So I I see this vision as kind of a very a, a concise. And a very shorthand way of talking about the future history that Daniel's going to talk about in seven through twelve. Now that's that's two different ways to understand it. Let, let me give you even a variation of that one. Uh, I know that there are some who teach that that fourth kingdom really then continues on to the present, hmm. okay. and that we're still under the quote unquote Roman age, and this we're, is where we we're get, still in the 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 iron and clay. And so there's there's where you'll get. Uh, yeah, that's where you'll get you know some of the the dispensational views and some of these these that these mm-hmm. are these Tim stuff. Hayes. Yeah, <laughs> well, you're getting to the end of the world, mm-hmm. and like I said, those are usually bringing in the Book of Revelation and other things. Um, but I understand this to just simply be talking about what God is going to do in His people. And, and I told you, I think it's important for the trajectory of God's people because let's talk about then this final image of the dream. And you, you've had dreams like this that have shifted. Yes. You got these strong, heavy metals. Gold is heavy. Iron's heavy. These are, these are heavy metals, right? Mm-hmm. And um, a rock comes, and it's described as not of human hands, not cut of, from human hands, mm-hmm. which tells us that this is, if it's not from human hands, it's from a divine origin. Mm-hmm. Okay. So this is a rock 
that comes but from... it's cut i mean so it's not just a natural rock it's exactly cut. it's cut because i think that the other people might say well it's just a natural thing no no right. know, this it's... is cut but it's not cut by human yeah hand. and it comes down and it says that it strikes oh i and i should say about the iron and, and the mix with clay so clay is brittle right clay is breakable iron is strong Mm-hmm. And so it basically is saying there's something about this kingdom that's going to be strong. That's going to have iron legs, but then its feet and toes are are going to have a mix of things that are strength, but but brittleness as yeah. well. There's a, there's a foundation to it, but it's tenuous. Right. Now read. So so here's this rock not cut by human hands, which I understand to be again from God. Now read what it says about leaving. You know where you you left off there essentially about okay. this fourth kingdom. Uh, and there shall be a fourth kingdom strong as iron because iron breaks to pieces and shatters all things. And like and like iron that crushes, it shall break and crush all these. And as you saw the feet and toes, partly of potter's clay and partly of iron, it shall be divided, shall be a divided kingdom. But some of the firmness of iron shall be in it, just as you saw iron mixed with the soft clay. And, and as the toes of the feet were partly iron and partly clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly brittle. As you saw the iron mixed with soft clay, so they will mix with another in marriage, but they will not hold together just as iron does not mix with clay. And in those and in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom. Okay, let me let me go back. In the days of those kings. Okay. So it's not it's not just one king. It's it's a kingdom that That's has my understanding. Kings. Yeah. That's my understanding. So so if we're thinking about Rome here. The kings of Rome, mm-hmm. we the Caesars, were, we refer to as the Caesars. That's that's who we're talking about. So, in the time of the Caesars, is the way I would read this. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the times of the kings, the Caesars, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it shall stand forever. Just as you saw that a stone was cut from a mountain by no human hand and that it broke in pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold. A great God has made known to the king what shall be after this. The dream is certain, and its interpretation sure. So in the dream, what happened to that stone? It gets... Earlier, it grows into a large mountain. It grows into a large mountain. Mm -hmm. So it smashes this idol, this this Mm -hmm. statue, and then it grows. And and the way it's described there is it it will fill the whole earth. Mm -hmm. Okay. So this to me is one of the most amazing prophecies in the entire Old Testament. Mm-hmm. Uh, I understand this to say that in the time of the Caesars, what we, you know, looking from our perspective, that God is going to send this, this rock, <laughs> one who is a rock, not cut with human hands, right? Mm-hmm. And, and it's going to come down and it's going to put an end to those kingdoms. And it in turn, and, and, and Daniel says, this is a kingdom that God is going to establish. So what do we call a kingdom that God's established? Well, God's the kingdom of God, right? Mm-hmm. Kingdom of heaven. <laughs> that it's going to fill the entire earth, that it's going to grow, which is the nature, which is the nature of the kingdom of God, right? Mm-hmm. It's going to grow. That's what Jesus tells in the parables. It's like a mustard seed, right? Mm-hmm. It's like a woman baking a large amount of bread. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's going to grow until it fills the entire earth. Um, and that's going to be this kingdom that's established. So I think what God is doing here through Daniel in Nebuchadnezzar's dream is giving his people a glimpse of the way that he is going to bring about his promise 
of establishing this eternal kingdom. I'll go back to our podcast, our episode, uh, what, four or five weeks ago where we talked about the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. It, it goes back to that promise of Second Samuel chapter 7 that, David, you're not going to build a house for me. I'm going to build a house for you, and I'm going to one of your one of your sons, one of your descendants, is going to establish an everlasting kingdom. And so here, Daniel tells us about when that's going to take place and the nature of it. Mm-hmm. I find that remarkable, right? Especially, yeah. I mean, it ties together so many pieces of. I, I especially if there's this is the seventh century BC mm-hmm. that that is looking ahead to these things that happen. And again, I understand why some people have to date uh, Daniel later. Now, um, even if we date Daniel to 250 BC, if you take the interpretation that I'm offering here, you still can't account for the kingdom and, and and that this is going to happen. Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, But, but I see this again as, as a, as a, you know, 700 years ahead of time, a prophecy about the coming Messiah who's going to establish God's kingdom on earth. Yeah. Even if you move it up to 250 BC, Rome is still, uh, you know, like the Roman power is still going to be yeah, established. 80, 88 when it comes to Jerusalem, 88 BC. Yeah. So, so like you, you can't even predict the Roman power. And then the Roman power is, yeah. you know, if you live in the time of Jesus, you know, probably the Roman power for you looks pretty unbreakable at this Cha- point. Chapter seven through, yeah, that's right. Chapter seven through I hadn't thought of that. That's a really good point. Chapter seven through twelve, then again, I think are making this even more specific. But again, I, I have a hard time understanding. Here's the other reason I don't think the stone cut without human hands is Cyrus. Is Cyrus doesn't become the the leader of a kingdom that stands for no right <laughs> nope. Uh, and so you know anyway. I mean yeah I mean Cyrus just lets everybody kind of hey. Well, I'm here. What do you guys want to do? Yeah. <laughs> At and, home. And so, so yeah, he accomplishes God's will, but I don't think he's the one who's the establisher of that, of that kingdom. Well, anyway. it, you know, and that would be probably a unique way to describe a king in that right. way. Like this right. stone not cut by human hands. Yeah, yeah. That, that would be uh, strange. Okay, well, go ahead. And and, and I'll, I'll go ahead and say by the time, and we were talking about this a little bit off off. Uh, podcast but off cast <laughs> so what the term is but it, it uh, is for us you know early christians took a lot of these passages about the stone the stone the builders rejected to mm-hmm. become the capstone these kind of ideas and applied them to jesus right this mm-hmm. this idea of a rock for us as as the person of jesus you know the early christian writers brought this in as well mm-hmm. uh, and and, and you know, prophecy is always easier to see, I think, in the in, retrospect in, in hindsight, right? Yeah. Um, anyway, the, 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 um, go, go ahead and read the next part here. Here's Nebuchadnezzar's response then to, to this. 46 and 47. Yeah. yeah, I already went through all this, but I'll, s- oh, no, here we go. Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell upon his face and paid homage to Daniel and commanded that an offering and incense be offered up to him. That's interesting. The king answered and said to Daniel, truly your God is God of gods and Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries for you have not been for you have been able to reveal this mystery. Okay. So, so his response is to give homage to, to Daniel. Um, and and then 
Verses 48 through 49 is the vindication and the conclusion of vindication. Then the king gave Daniel high honors and many great gifts and made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon and chief prefect over all the wise men of Babylon. Daniel made a request of the king and he appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the affairs of the province of Babylon. But Daniel remained at the king's court. So he gave, he gave Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego kind of this rule of the province. Daniel's he's keeping there with him to to you know be a courtier basically. I'm surprised. I mean, this is just my thing of this that he didn't kill the other wise men. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, right. we had this whole statement: your God is the God of gods, right. and you know, revealer right. of dreams, all that stuff. And yet, it's still. I mean, and we're going to see it again. Yeah. You know, as, as Nebuchadnezzar. I'm just saying, if you want a surprise, just wait till I chapter three. Yeah, but it's just like. <laughs> How do you go? Like it's like this weird roller coaster yeah. of like, woo! Oh well, this you know it is yeah. it kind of like well, your God's the God of this moment, yeah. and then you know there's another God of another moment. So I talk about this a lot with the Gospel of John, but let's let's talk about it with Daniel. Is is narrative? What what is narrative doing? Right? Why why are we telling the stories? We talked about stories a few mm-hmm. weeks back. Why are we telling these stories the way that we are? Why is Daniel? telling these stories in the way that that he is that that vindication right mm-hmm. it came in chapter one vindication comes in chapter two uh this idea that that even in a foreign context even in in the in the difficulty for first and foremost the god that we worship is superior to any of these other gods mm-hmm. uh, again it's a, it, it, we've talked about this before it's a it's a polytheistic culture aku and and marduk and and um Nabu and you know all these others. By the way, there are some uh, there are some uh, people who are familiar with uh, anime that are going what? Uh, but uh, I am not one of them. <laughs> but all of these uh, all of these you know gods, uh, and, and instead here's the true God who's able to reveal these things. That's the that's the contrast that we mm-hmm. see. And and you know Daniel goes from again possibly being killed here to being elevated and to being put in a position of power again joseph you know th- this kind of idea that that even as you i think you put it last time even when things seem especially bad mm-hmm. um then uh you know god is still able to keep his people is able to sustain his people yeah god's revealing himself even when the the people of god are not riding high in their own in the in the land that exactly. god had given them they're not riding high over here but god is still no. revealing himself through his exactly. faithful servants and daniel you know the other thing i want to mention there is do you notice he doesn't say oh this is a done deal we can do this right mm-hmm. but he says there is a god in heaven and and he goes back and he says to shadrach meshach and abednego pray <laughs> right <laughs> yeah i mean he's i mean he's gonna die so he's well, like you know give us well but it's you know and again it's putting themselves into the hands of god, god right in a, in a trusting way and, and so yeah we like that the story turns you know we we love nothing more than a rags to riches story, right? We we mm-hmm. love that, but no matter how it turns out, the right thing to do is to be faithful in the in the mm-hmm. face of God's. Um, yeah, it wasn't a foregone conclusion that God was going to reveal right. re- reveal the dream, right? You know, and it was again as they submitted themselves to the mercy of God, so. and when God did reveal it, God, Daniel offered it praise. You know, all the praise belongs to Him. He gives Him the credit. Again, when mm-hmm. Nebuchadnezzar says, "Oh, you're what a wise guy that you've revealed this," it's like, "No, this was revealed by the revealer of mysteries." God, God, not only has revealed this to you, but He's showing you what's to come. So, yeah. 
Again, Nebuchadnezzar. All the other guys said like, <laughs> oh, we can't know anything like this. And then you've got this, you know, Daniel that walks guy. in and says, wise yeah. guy says like, hey, there's God in heaven and he's revealed himself to to me. And yeah. Nebuchadnezzar says, oh, you, you know, yep. your God is the God of gods. But like, I'll just keep these other guys around. <laughs> Just in case. Bums. Well, and if if you just want to wait, we're going from the f- frying pan into the fire, so to speak. So oh oh. My God. But um but a bone. Here little, we go. A little All right. Well, hey, jokes, this is good. Dad jokes with Daniel. Did you have other, anything else? Any other questions or anything you want to I don't know if I have about? questions. It's just there's you know, there's just so many things that are happening. Yeah. Happening in here. And I again I think what's you know, we've talked about this. Prophecy is always easy, not I'm going to say this. It's not easy, right. but you can start to see like some connection points as you look sure. backwards. But kind of going, you know, I always wonder, even for Nebuchadnezzar, you know, wh- what goes on with him as yeah. he hears like, well, then, then the next kingdom. And he's probably going, next kingdom? <laughs> I'm the gold head. You know what I mean? Like there's this, you know, it's kind of like, well, you know, when God made like, oh, I'm going to have judgment for the people of Israel, like, but it's not going to be until after you're dead. Just like, well, yeah. psh, I'm out of here. <laughs> I'm out of here. I'm moving on. But just this idea, like, you right. know, Nebuchadnezzar is getting this great message or not great message, but like, Hey, you're the head of gold, but there's something coming after you. There's yeah. like, you know, I just, I, you know, I, it's pure conjecture, but you think like what's going on in this context yeah. that I, they're thinking through this. I guess one thing when you talked about, you know, even judgment coming upon Israel and you're like, Oh, well, I, that'll be after I'm dead. Um, I think that that's kind of from a, a worldview that's a very individualistic worldview, though, too. Mm-hmm. So if you if you think of yourself more as a part of God's people, right, and and Israel being uh, a way to demonstrate God's mercy to His people, right, mm-hmm. then you think about what's lost. Even if it's after your death, it's it's right. my my people are are going to be put to shame. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know that that's just one thing to think about there. But yeah, I don't know with Nebuchadnezzar. I mean. And like, you know, it's just remarkable. Then you turn, so we just finished 49, mm-hmm. uh, chapter chapter 2, verse 49, and then chapter 3, verse 1, oh, I think I'll build a statue to myself. <laughs> <laughs> I had a dream that I was a big deal. So. <laughs> well, it, yeah, and I think, again, like looking back at this, and we've talked about this before, but seeing yeah. that reversal of language. Yeah. Oh, and I think it's, you know, again, as we look at Daniel, not... I didn't know the names and the reversals sure. are there. It's like you see the names being reversed almost there in the beginning uh-huh. from uh, the, the Hebrew names to, you know, uh-huh. the Babylonian names. It's like this inversion of God. And then you see these other places where Daniel's taking the language of these uh, sorcerers and stuff that are, you know, right. not of God. And he's inverting them. It's almost, I'm flipping this back. Yeah. I'm flipping this narrative back around. Yeah. You know, that's that's I think is the most interesting part is when you read the stories, it's it's the inversions yeah. of, of some of this. And the battle, like we've said before, the battle between the true God and these these idols, these these yeah, gods it, it, that they you know, seeking. I think it's interesting is you know, we we just have, you know, the Babylonian god like my god, like his god or yeah. the Babylonian god. We don't have even have a name for him. It's just like right. eh, yeah, they're not even worth mentioning here right. a little bit. So right. anyway, well this is good. Yeah, good. We'll continue with Daniel next week then, chapter yeah. three. Yeah, so. chapter three. So yeah, if you're enjoying the podcast, please share. Share on Facebook. You can follow us on Facebook. You can sign up for our newsletter that comes out sometimes. And uh, or, you know, 
if you uh, are enjoying the podcast and like to support us, you can go to yeah. BibleBistro.com, click on the upper right-hand corner. There's a button there to click and support us. Uh, but we're going to keep going on this. We're going to yeah. continue Daniel next week. We're just going to keep chucking right through the yep. book of Daniel and get to the real mysterious stuff as we get to <laughs> Daniel 7. So, Brian, thanks so much. Yeah. And uh, I'll see you next Tuesday. See you, Ryan. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.